Alex and David, even though he's not here, like their ability to just pick up and run with what God's been speaking all week. David shared testimony about that last week, man. It just, it blows me away. Um, and I appreciate you guys' faithfulness to, uh, to pursue the Lord and to do what he's called you to do. Um, this week, we're going we're gonna to look at a lot of different stuff. There's a lot of cross-references we're going to look at this morning. So if you want an outline, there are some that are clipped to the bulletin board back there in the back. Mike, Mike just went and got him one. It's going to have at the top of that all the different references that we're going to look at today. Uh, and also, if you're in a life group and you want to know what questions are going to be asked, uh, the life group leaders may add some to those. Or they may subtract some, but there are some questions there to kind of prep your mind for what you're going to be talking about that week. Um, so last week, we covered Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 66. Uh, which is the birth and the naming of John the Baptist. If you'll remember, Zachariah and Elizabeth went against their family's wishes on John's name. But in obedience to God, Zachariah's uh, mouth and ears were open. Remember the family, they get there and they're like, you need to name him Zachariah. And Elizabeth says, no, his name is John because that's what the angel Gabriel told them to name him. And that wasn't good enough for them. So they went to Zachariah and said, Zachariah, what do you think we ought to name him? And so Zachariah writes down, his name is John. And they're like, okay, fine. And as a result of their obedience, God did what he said he would do. And he opened Zachariah's mouth. And, and the people, it says, were amazed at what God was doing. We ended with the final point last week that Zachariah and Elizabeth's obedience revealed more of what God was doing. In that moment, they understood more about what God was doing in their lives and the lives of, of this new baby because Zachariah and Elizabeth obeyed what God was saying. We close with the idea that if we as a people, if we can hear, if we can obey, if we can see God's activity and then share that, our understanding of who God is is going to be expanded. And the people who do life around us, their understanding of who God is is also going to be expanded. This is God's plan for the world to know about who he is, about how much he loves them, about how much grace and mercy he has offered to them is by us sharing that with them as we experience it ourselves. Sharing your experiences with God, we talked about last week, is not an optional activity for a disciple of Jesus. And that's what we are. As followers of Christ, we are his disciples. And sharing what God is doing in our lives, what God is speaking to us, is not optional. It's in our DNA. And that's going to come into play as we look at the rest of this uh, message today. Our lives and, and, and God's activity in it are going to prepare people's hearts to receive the truth about who God is. That was John the Baptist's goal. That was his commission, and, and ours is like it. When people get a taste of who God really is and how much he loves them and cares for them, it's going to cause a radical shift, a changing of gears, right, of our understanding. I didn't know that was our, our, our new thing for this month, but it's going to change how we see God. It's going to see, it's going to change how we see the world. It's going to change how we see the people that are in the world. It's going to change how we see ourselves because our perception is different because now we're looking with God's eyes and not with our own. Our lives and the world will change through our simple, and I, I, may, I worded it this way intentionally last week, that our world and the world around us is going to change based on our simple yet powerful acts of obedience, right? I love Curious testimony this morning that God is just loving on him and blessing him in all these little ways, and he's getting to see that, and he's sharing that with people in his lives, not just here, but I know he shared that with some other people as well, but that is a, a very simple, very tactical way of us understanding the, the amount of love that God has for us, that God would, would hook Carrie up with a free inspection sticker. 
I mean, that's not, in the whole scheme of the world, that's not a big deal. But it was a big deal for Kerry, and it's a big deal for his family. And it's a big deal when we share that stuff. So today, we're going to pick up Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 80. And we're going to read how Zechariah responded to all that God had just done, right? In our passage last week, it said that Zechariah began to, to praise and prophesy God. And so today, we're going to look specifically at that. As we read this passage, I want to remind you that Zechariah's occupation was to be a priest in the temple. As we hear his testimony of praise and prophecy this morning about what God is doing and what God has been doing, remember that we learned that it was his job to know all this stuff, right? That was his role as a priest, was to, was to know the story of God and his people and to relate that to others. That was the role of a priest. And when we were studying Luke chapter 5, verses 25, that was our first message in this series. We speculated that it's probably why uh, God made him deaf and mute whenever he told him he's going to have a, a baby. Because Zachariah of all people should have known in that moment of all of the different examples of God doing that very specific thing in the lives of his people. Remember talking about that? If not, go back and listen to that, listen to that first message. Um, what we're going to read about today is the result of of Zechariah living in silence, not hearing and not speaking for at least nine months, right? He's going to have an opportunity during that time to think about what God is doing in this moment, to know that this angel came and said, my wife is going to get pregnant, and I didn't believe her, and my wife just had a baby, and now here we are on the eighth day celebrating and committing this, making this covenant with God and with one another. What an incredible moment, right? And so all of this has been rolling around in his mind for nine months. And he's, you know, it says in, in, when he says, no, his name will be John, he wrote like on a tablet. And usually that was like a piece of wood covered with wax and they could scratch words into it and then they'd remelt it and write not a tablet like this. That's not what he had, right? And so there was some crude communication, but certainly not like, you would want to be able to like, y'all, let me tell you what just happened, okay? So nine months, he's been sitting on this. Have you ever had something like ama amazing that happened and, and there was nobody for you to tell that to? Like for a while, like how that just burns in you and you're like, oh my God, I got to tell somebody about this. I call my wife all the time because something will happen. I'm like, I got to tell you this now I, while it's fresh because I don't want to wait till I get home tonight. It's the kind of that feeling. So read this with me. We're going to see Zachariah's response to seeing God doing what he said he was going to do. So we're going to pick up in verse 67 and read through 80 today. It said, Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he was visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our ancestors and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant that we, having been rescued from the hand of our enemies, would serve him without fear in the holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of, our, because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death 
to guide our feet into the way of peace. Then it says, the child grew up and became strong in the spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Man, this was huge. This is what we see in Zachariah's response. Just as a kind of a fun caveat, I remember reading this week that in the original text, this was all one sentence, right? And you know what that tells me? Is you ever really, really excited about something that's going on and you're talking 100 miles an hour? My boss this week, we were having a conversation and, um, and it involved me calling somebody. And so I called the guy while he's sitting in the office and the guy's voicemail came up. And I don't know about you, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I fire my information out. I was like, hey, this is Will with Petron. Give me a call back. My number is 318-613-1594. Here's my email address. Like, boom, 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 boom. And I hung up and Steve just put his hand on the tip. He says, you're one of those. I said, what do you mean? He said, that guy wasn't finished writing the first three numbers of your telephone number and you done finished your email address. <laughs> He's like, you're going to have to listen to that 12 times to get all that information. I was like, yeah, yeah, I am one of those. I think, I think that's the point here. Zachariah is so excited, right? We, we, Carrie was really excited about, you know, getting a free inspection sticker or a free lunch. And that's a big deal. You should be excited about that. But that pales in comparison to what Zachariah is excited about, right? God's been talking about this literally since Abraham. And all of a sudden it's happening and it's happening with his son. It's a big deal. And so Zechariah responds to all that. And the first thing I wanted to, to see in this passage today is what prompted Zechariah. Zechariah began to share after he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is an important distinction. Zachariah had the same kind of experience that Elizabeth had when Mary came to visit. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. In both of those cases, they're filled with the Holy Spirit after they obeyed God. And that's an important, important distinction. Both Zachariah and Elizabeth had a new understanding of God, one that comes only by experience through obedience, right? We talk about that all the time. But as we obey God and he does things that we can't take credit for, we go, wow, okay, that was cool. Zachariah's going, I didn't think this could happen. It did happen. Man, this is neat. We're going to talk about this idea quite a few times in, in the next few months, but it says that, that, I, that Zachariah begins to praise God and to prophesy. So what does it mean to prophesy? Because I don't know about you, but that's not a word that pops up in my everyday conversation. Is it, is it for you? No, it's not something you talk about? So let's look at it. Prophecy is an oral divine message mediated through an individual that is directed at a person or people group and intended to elicit a specific response, okay? So a prophecy is not just something that God says. It's something that God says through a person with the expectation that you're going to do the thing that God said to do, right? We're familiar with the word prophecy and with prophets because of the Old Testament, right? We looked at a lot of prophecies at the beginning of this study back guys like Malachi and Zechariah the prophet before this Zechariah became a prophet, right? So we, we understand that concept. A prophecy is a message from God with the intent of changing the lives of the people that it's given to. So who's able to give a prophecy? That's a good question to ask, right? A prophet. That's an easy answer, but who's a prophet? It, if you look it up, it says any person directed by the inspiration of God to proclaim his will. Any person. Again, important distinction. Now, that does not give you, does not give any person the right to say God said and then say whatever you want to say, right? We see that in scripture too and that's called a false prophet, 
right? And, and just as a caveat, here's how you tell a prophet from a false prophet. If a false prophet or a prophet tells you something, what should you do? Go back to God with that. Look at it in his word. Does it line up with what God has said in the past? If it does, run with it. If it doesn't, hold tight. Don't move forward, okay? So a prophet is any person directed by God to proclaim his will. Any person that has been filled with the Holy Spirit, again, I want to make that important distinction, that has been directed by God to proclaim his will is a prophet. This is what is happening in our passage today. And I'm going to make the case at the end, and I want to just prepare your hearts for this. I want to make the case that God can use you as a prophet, any person in this room. And that may make you feel a little weird, and we're going to discuss that at the end. But I want to remind you, a prophet is any person that's filled with the Holy Spirit who God gives a word about his will. Okay? We'll talk about that more at the end. But I want you to see that Zechariah, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and now he's moved from being just a priest to becoming a prophet. In fact, he's prophet, in his prophesying, Zechariah is fulfilling the words of another prophet, Joel. Look with me at Joel chapter 2, verse 28. Let me get my things flipped over here. Joel chapter 2, verse 28, it says, After this, I will pour out my Spirit on humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams and your young men will see visions. So this is the prophet Joel, one of the minor prophets, who is prophesying about things to come. And we are seeing that prophecy from Joel being fulfilled in this moment with Zechariah. We're going to see that fulfilled a lot more times as we read through the book of Luke, but this is a great example of that. Luke makes the point for his readers to see that God is what God is doing through the birth of John and that it's a really, really big deal. This is not just another baby, but one that was foretold by the prophets old. And he shares that through this passage. The second thing God wants us to see is that Zechariah recalls what God said he would do in the past and then shares what God is doing now to fulfill those promises. Let me say that in a little bit easier way. Zechariah is looking at all the things. Remember, nine months, silent, can't talk to anybody. Nine months to think about, this is what Gabriel said. Okay, where have I heard that stuff before? Okay, it's here, 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 and here. And now look, these are promises that God made. And boom, look, he's fulfilling it this way, this way, this way, this way. We're going to look at some of those examples today. But I want us to see it first. Before he does that, he begins to simply praise God. First thing comes out of his mouth is a praise to God. in church, that is an excellent place for us to start when we begin to pray. Thankfulness is always a great, great posture for our hearts. Look at, at verse 68 again in Luke chapter 1. It says, he says, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. Zechariah is praising God for what he's done in the past and what he's doing now. Let's continue on in verse 69 through 75. Look at that with me again. It says, He raised up a horn of salvation for us. In the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us, who hate us, excuse me. He has dealt mercifully with our ancestors and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant that we, having been rescued from the hand of our enemies, would serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all of our days. One of my commentaries this week said, Zechariah blesses or praises God because God has visited and redeemed his people with a strong salvation. A horn is used in the Bible to symbolize strength and power. 
This is a powerful salvation for Israel that was promised to come through David, that was prophesied through the prophets of old, and that in, verse, in verses 72 and 73 goes all the way back to the fathers of the patriarchs and to Abraham. This salvation is an act of mercy. God saves us to prove his mercy. The entire Bible from Abraham to the prophets down to King David is about one thing, salvation. The Bible has one story, God visiting or coming to get his people. That was and is the plan. This is what Zechariah is setting up for us. His son, it says at the end of this passage, that his son went and lived in the wilderness until his day of public reveal. I have to think in my mind, it doesn't say this in scripture, but in my mind, I think part of this is Zachariah preparing all of his family, who obviously is a little overbearing, that, hey, my son's going to be a little bit awkward, okay? He's going to live in the desert and wear camel hair and, and eat wild honey and locust, and it's okay, God's doing a thing. Just, just trust him, okay? Trust me. I love how simply this commentary puts it, though. The story of the Bible is about God redeeming his people. God created us in the beginning. We went astray. And God has been working ever since to bring us back to himself. This story of our redemption is what Zechariah is reminding this crowd of people about. Remember, they're there to celebrate his son, John. And their family and their friends are there. And Zechariah wants them to understand that God has promised something pretty incredible for their son and for the future of mankind. He's drawing on passages like, look with this with me. Let's look at uh, Micah, chapter 7, verse 20. It says, you will show loyalty to Jacob and to faithful love to Abraham as you swore to our ancestors from days long ago. This was the last words that Micah said that's recorded you will show loyalty to Jacob and faithful love to Abraham as you swore to our ancestor from days long ago so in his nine months of silence Zechariah is remembering things like this or Psalm 105 verses 8 through 9 says he remembers his covenant forever the promise he ordained for a thousand generations the covenant that he made with Abraham and swore to Isaac or Genesis 22 Verses 16 and 17. We read this a couple of times recently. And he said, by myself I have sworn. This is the Lord's declaration. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your offering, your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies. Or 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 1. We read this a couple of weeks ago too. Hannah prayed. My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is lifted up by the Lord. My mouth boasts over my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Or lastly, Ezekiel verse 29, verse, uh, chapter 29, verse 21. In that day, I will ca cause a horn to sprout from the house of Israel and will enable you to speak out among them. Then they will know that I am the Lord. John will be preparing for people this horn of salvation, this strong salvation, this strong redeeming work is coming through the person of Jesus. And Zechariah finally, finally gets to tell everybody about what God has been doing, that God has not forgotten them. That's what prophecy is. Zechariah is saying, God said this thing. He said this is what he's going to do, and now I get to tell you about it. Zechariah is speaking on God's behalf, revealing what God has been doing, uh, what he said, and that he would, what he would do through these quote-unquote thousands of generations. 
His prophetic message was that God was sending the promised Messiah that would deliver them. And John would be the one that's going to prepare the people to receive Jesus. My third point for today is that Zechariah prophesied that John's commission was to shine a light on those living in darkness to prepare the way for the Lord. Look at verse 76 and 79 with me again. He says, And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in the darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. God is speaking through Zechariah in order to prepare the way because of what God is going to do is going to be so shocking. What John is about to begin to proclaim as he comes to age and he makes his public appearance, what he is going to say is going to be so incredibly shocking that it ends up with his death, right? Not Jesus, John. I'm sure y'all, if you don't remember that, you can go back and look. Up until this moment, I want us to think about this for a moment. I want to get our minds in the mind frame, in the place of the people that are around Zechariah when he's making this prophecy, okay? Up until this moment, God's people lived under the sacrificial system where they had to sacrifice animals for the forgiveness of sins, right? We've, we've talked about this before. In those days, people's focus was so much on the law because their understanding was that in order to be acceptable by God, I have to live up to the letter of the law. I have to be perfect. So the religious leaders, the people alike, their focus was on the law. I gotta be, I gotta be perfect. I gotta go through all these ceremonies. I gotta sacrifice the animals at the right time. I gotta be at the right place at the right time. And if I'm not, God is not gonna be acceptable to me. What Jesus is coming to do and what John's about to prepare them for so they can kind of get, so they can make that mental shift is that you have completely missed it. The purpose of the law was not to make you perfect. The purpose of the law was to show you that you're not perfect. That's a big difference. This was spoken by God generations ago. And all these people knew this information. God knew that when Jesus arrived and began to reveal God's plan for salvation, that it was going to blow their minds. And so, as a mediator, he sends John first to get them to start thinking about salvation that comes not through sacrifice, not through activity, not through trying to be holy, but forgiveness that comes through, excuse me, the salvation that comes through forgiveness. That's a mental shift that was going to be hard for them to make. This is going to be such a radical departure from what they understood of God that they're going to need someone to get their hearts and their minds prepped and ready to move in that direction. So God sends John ahead of Jesus to begin preaching this message of salvation that only comes through the forgiveness of sins. And so what is what is salvation? That's a nice big churchy word, right? We we use that sometimes, but what does it mean? It's deliverance from the power and the effects of sin. It's deliverance from the power and the effects of sin. The power and the effect of sin is separation from God. And that's what Israel has been experiencing. Right? We've, if you've read through the Old Testament, you know that, that not only did Israel choose, they wanted a king. God's like, no, you don't want a king. They're like, no, we want a king like everybody else. He's like, all right, fine. You want a king, you can have a king. So they had Saul. <clears throat> who's not bad, David, which is much better, and then it just goes way downhill from there. And there's chapters and books of how horrible these kings were. And then, that wasn't enough. God 
people still disobeyed him. They still lived in disobedience to him. So they go through three different exiles where these big major military groups come in and they overtake them and they disperse them across the known world to split them up. They've been living through all of this. All of that is separation from God. All of that is the result of their disobedience. Of the fact that they didn't get it. They didn't understand God didn't want them to try to be perfect. God wanted them to be His. He didn't say to Moses when they were in the desert to be perfect and then you will be my people. He said, just obey what I'm saying. Do what I'm saying and I will be your God and you will be my people. Prior to Jesus, the only salvation that was available was through these religious practices of Judaism. And then when Jesus shows up and starts revealing that the religious leaders had missed the whole point, it's going to rock the proverbial boat, right? Leah brought up this morning in her reading Psalm 103, uh, and I went and stuck it in here real quick. So Anna, if you'll jump back to that, verse 10, the psalmist says, He does not deal with us according to sins, nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. God's focus is not on our sin. That's not what he is concerned with. God's focus is on our hearts. He wants us to know him, not to be perfect. He'll make us perfect. But his desire is for our hearts, for us to be in a relationship with him. So this is why God sends John ahead of Jesus. John's task is to help the people to begin to understand that the goal of their relationship with God was not based on their ability to keep the rules but on God's desire to know them and to forgive them. They'd been taught that in order to be pleasing and accepted by God, they had to be perfect. And Jesus is about to show up and reveal that God loves everybody right where they are. Luke is going to make a point. We're going to see it all through this book that, that Jesus specifically focuses on those that were downcast, those that were rejected by the religious people. Those are the people that he's going to spend his time with. Those are the people that he is going to love on the most. Not because nobody else did, because Jesus wants them to know, I love the least of these. And if I love the least of these, then you know that I will love everyone. Because that was the opposite of what the rest of the world was saying. This is the message of John that Zachariah is prophesying about. In verse 77, he says, To give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. This is John's message. This is his commission. It's to, to try to begin to prepare people's hearts that the forgiveness of sins is what God is most interested in. So who's this message for? It's for all people. But Jesus was going to focus specifically on those that were overlooked. This message that Zechariah is prophesying about that John will soon be proclaiming, it was radically different from what God's people were used to hearing. I want us to think about it in this way for a moment. Consider most of us in this room have been through a radical transformation in our understanding of who God is, right? I, I, I can't speak to your story, but I know my own. I grew up as a Christian, and I was taught that God's love for me was dependent upon my behavior, right? And then in, in adulthood, I learned about this little thing called grace, Right? that Jesus has given us. And this, this new gospel that I was taught was that Jesus loves me right where I am regardless of how I act, that, that Jesus in my sin came to me. Paul talks about this in Romans, that in our sin, Jesus died for me. 
so that I could know him, so that I could experience his love. And church, I, I don't know about you, but that idea of grace radically transformed my understanding of who God is. It changed my life. It changed how I see the world. This is the kind of revolution that God sent John to prepare people for. A message of grace to say, look, I know for generations your dad, your grandpa, your great-grandpa, your great-great-grandpa, all of them focused on these religious activities, but they missed the point. The point's not the activity. The point is God. God wants to know you. He wants to redeem you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. Church, this is where we begin to see our application for this passage today. As we are coming to know Jesus so that we can make him known, we're going to learn things about Jesus that we either didn't know or we were misinformed about. How do I know this? I know this because it's already happening in my life. And I've had some conversations with you guys recently that you're saying, man, I've never thought about this passage or this person in this way before. I mentioned when we started this study that if we approach the Bible thinking that we fully understand it, we are lying to ourselves and it's incredibly egotistical to assume that we know everything there is to know about this book and to know everything that there is to know about God. As we are learning who Jesus is and it changes our understanding of how he sees us and loves us, it is going to be shocking at times. It's going to be joyful. It's going to be freeing. But unfortunately, it's also probably going to be a little bit controversial because I know when people discover grace and all of their friends and family that know Jesus who don't understand grace, see their lives begin to change, they're not happy about it. They don't like to see that freedom in people's lives because they don't have that freedom and they don't understand it. As we discover these things, it's our job to digest it as fully as we possibly can through the power of the Holy Spirit and then share that freedom that we are discovering with other people. As we discover who God is, as we understand his freedom, as, as God takes this little area of our life that we thought we knew and understand how he worked, and he changes that, and we get to go, wow, man, this is so much better than I thought it was, right? We share that with other people. But what, we, what did we learn from our passage today? First, before we speak, we need to wait for the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I can tell you there are a few things that I've been pondering for in my heart for a while as we've studied this book. And there, there are things that I want to talk to people about. I want to say, you know, I'm reading this and this is what I'm understanding. What are you getting out of this? But God has not released me to do that yet. He's told me to just wait, continue to pray, pursue him on it. That could be for a number of different reasons. But for now, the only one that really matters is that Jesus said, don't talk about it yet. So I'm not going to. Second, we need to keep track of all that God is speaking We've talked about before about the value of, of journaling to record what God is speaking to you. And, and over time, that provides a couple of really valuable resources. First of all, you can look back and see what God has said about a particular thing. If you've journaled that, if you've written it down. Or if you're struggling with hearing God and you're not really sure if it's Him or not, when you think it might be Him, you start writing that down. And over time, you can kind of flip back and say, okay, I kind of thought He was saying this two weeks ago. And as I look back over my journal over the last two weeks, man, He has been consistently saying the same thing over and over and over and over again. I think, because this has happened in my life, be like, God, you've been saying the same thing for a couple of weeks now. I think this is what you're saying. You, we're good. We're going to move forward. And I step out in faith and God goes, yeah, that's exact. Two weeks ago, man, we could have moved forward on this, but it took you this long. And that's okay. God ain't mad about that. But we need to keep track of what God is saying. 
In, this, in our passage from today, Zechariah considered what God said in the past concerning his son and Mary's son, Jesus. And his knowledge of that history brought immeasurable riches, richness to what God was doing. And the same can happen in our lives as we, as we are growing in our understanding of who Jesus is. If we'll take some notes on that and write down, look, I'm, I'm, I'm reading this passage today, God, and this, I think you're saying something different than I've seen in this before. And you meditate on that, as, as a college professor said, as you struggle and you wrestle and you grapple with that truth. Make notes of that stuff. Because later, you're going to need to come back to this because somebody's going to challenge you and be like, that's not true. And you can go back and look at those notes and be like, no. No, I remember going through this with God. It's absolutely true. Third, as God gives us words for our friends and family, we will have the confidence to share it because of the experiences that we have had with God ourselves. As we journal those things, as we walk in our relationship with God, and we begin to share those things and people challenge on us, we're going to have the confidence to stand our ground, not because I'm right, but because we know that God said it. I want us to think about prophecy again. An oral divine message mediated through an individual that is directed at a person or a people group or an intended or, and intended to elicit a specific response. I told you at the beginning of this message, I wanted you to start to think about the fact that God might use you as a prophet. And, and it sounds a bit crazy to think about that, doesn't it? Anybody feel that way? Feels a little weird to put that title maybe on yourself one day? But I think it's primarily because it's not a word that we use very often or that there's a stigma that's going to come with that because people are going to say, how dare you? How dare you say that you have the authority to do that? And I think our scripture today points out that if the Holy Spirit's living in you and God gives you a word, you should share it. It might be weird to put the title of prophecy on yourself or a prophet or prophetess. But let me ask you this. If a friend comes to you and says, hey, would you pray with me about this and tell me what God tells you? Will you do it? I think the past has already proved that you will. If God gives you a word for somebody, you're going to share it with them, right? Because you'd want them to do the same. Church, that's prophecy. That's me going to God and saying, I, I had a friend yesterday who said, there's a ministry opportunity that's opened up. They've asked me to consider it. Would you pray with me as I discern God's will? Yes, I absolutely will. And you know what? If God gives me a word for him concerning that job, I'm going to give it to him. That's all prophecy is. It's us going to God and saying, what do you have to say about this? What do you want to happen? And then sharing that with other people. Church, this is a part of what it looks like to make him known. As we're praying for ourselves, as we're praying for our friends and our family, God is going to speak. And then he may even ask you to share that with the person that you're praying for. And here's what I don't want us to do. I don't want us to have our minds closed off to that part of spirituality and say, God can't do that through me. Because that's not what Scripture teaches Scripture teaches that a guy named Zechariah who knew all the right answers got it wrong, but God still used him to prepare the way for Jesus. God used Zechariah to prepare the way for Jesus. And God wants to use you to prepare the way for somebody else to know Jesus. And he wants to do that by speaking through you. Let's pray.
Jesus, I'm so thankful for challenging messages like this. Father, it's my, my hope and my desire that all of us would leave here today with a desire to know you more. To really want to know you, to be able to dig in, to understand the truths of your word, Father, to, to understand things that maybe we missed before or were misinformed about. Father, our, our desire is not to be accepted by the world around us, but to know you and let the rest of the chips fall where they may. Father, I pray for, for myself and for every person in this room that, that our desire to know you would far outweigh our desire to be pleasing to the world around us. And God, I ask that you would guide us in truth. Father, that this would not be us running out on tangents because it makes us feel good. But Father, I ask that you would give us a pure desire to know you as you are. And then to share that with the people around us. God, this is a, a challenging thing for me to think about and I know I'm not alone in that. But Father, I ask that your spirit of truth would invade our lives this week, Father. And we would get to see the truth that you want to use us to speak your will to other people. God, that's a huge responsibility. And I thank you for even allowing us to partner in that. Father, we need your guidance. We need your directions. We need it to be 100% you. And this is what we're asking for. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and stand.